And I wanted to tell you about an opportunity we have not just to help our neighbors right here in the Greater Canal Valley, but all the way across the country in Florida. We have sought to find a partner on the ground, and thankfully, those of you who know Pastor Trish Carruth, who is our outreach pastor, she and her husband moved to get near their grandchildren. They moved about three weeks ago to Fort Myers, Florida. And so you can imagine, they've already, they lost their car, they're staying, they hadn't bought a house yet, so they were staying with their uh, kids and grandkids. But she's kind of become our secret, secret weapon on the ground there because she led uh, many of our efforts over the last few years to care for people in our community. She's helped us connect with the Summit Church in Fort Myers. It is also the church where our elementary director, Stephen Millage's parents attend. And uh, they're taking in resources and taking 100% of what comes into them to help their neighbors to, uh, to provide relief. And so we are partnering with the Summit Church and thankful for Trish's willingness to uh, help us make that connection. But if you want to go uh, to calvarywestlake.org slash hurricane, there are two opportunities for you there. One, if God is moving you to give above and beyond your regular giving. I know these are tough days in terms of disposable income with inflation and everything, but this is an opportunity for us to love on our neighbors. You can give to our disaster relief fund, and all that comes in in this season will go to help uh, individuals. So you'll see hurricane relief uh, as a drop down on our giving page. You can find that there at calvarywestlake.org slash hurricane. Or if you'd like to give, you can scan the, the QR code on the screen and it'll take you right there so that you can give. Also though, at calvarywestlake.org slash hurricane, you can sign up if you have an interest over the next several months. We've been told by many organizations that the cleanup effort where there'll be need for volunteers taking out mud, cleaning out furniture, it's actually gonna take place probably from now through next July. And so if you have any interest in the next several weeks or the next several months or even into next year, being a part of a team that goes for a number of days to help folks there on the ground, even they're gonna do some visiting of elderly and others who are gonna be isolated during this time, you can go to calvarywestlake.org slash hurricane and you can sign up and say, I'm interested, keep me posted on when those groups are going because I wanna be uh, able to serve if I can. I wanna stop and pray for the efforts there in Florida, and especially among the body of Christ to make the light of Christ shine in the midst of all they've gone through. Also wanna pray for our Camp 54 kids. The fourth and fifth graders are off at, at a retreat this weekend, and uh, that's why uh, we originally planned to have uh, elementary age uh, kids who weren't at that camp from kindergarten through fifth grade in the room. And then um, there was a disconnect, uh, it was my fault, that in the nine o'clock, we had children in the room, and then the topics I'm dealing with are kind of PG-13, so a number of families slipped out. Uh, hopefully they'll understand and be gracious that we made that mistake, and we've put together a great opportunity. So if you have a child in the room from kindergarten to fifth grade, they can go to room 1108, as Loretta said. They've got teaching in there. They've got a great team they put together immediately. Some of our best are in there, and uh, Pastor Jason, our executive pastor, and others. They can just slip in there and uh, have a great time that will not be PG-13 or <laughs> higher rated in its content. Uh, so again, if you're a parent, be aware of that, and uh, we want to make sure that was clear and give you that opportunity. But we can pray for those kids at Camp 54. Uh, this is a special time in that retreat for the fourth and fifth graders. Also pray for Pastor Brian Williams, uh, who is our uh, young adults pastor. Uh, he got an infection late in the week, and actually he's been in the hospital now for two nights, and uh, the antibiotics are helping, but they're still trying to isolate everything. It looks like he probably will come home later today. But uh, we love Brian and Amy and, and uh, their kids, Ellie and Isaac. And I know this makes it tough when you have little ones at home and dad's in the hospital. And I'm sure Amy's been concerned and I want to pray for them too. So let's just pause and pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have across the country to partner with a church on the ground to show the love of Jesus. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd move those who are able to give above and beyond what they generally give to uh, just give in a way that will help of their dollars. And for some, what they can give is their time. Some can give both, but I pray that there'd be people who say, I'm willing and interested to, to uh, go and serve if, if the timing fits my, my calendar, my schedule. And I just pray that uh, folks would respond. We pray for the kids at Camp 54. I ask, Lord, that it'd be a great retreat time for them. For the kids now gathering in room 1108, may it be a special time of, of worship, of, of uh, learning God's word, of being involved in some activities. Uh, may it be a blessed time there. And uh, 
Father, we also pray for Brian. Just touch his life. Um, uh, uh, be with Amy and, and the kids as well and give clarity to the doctors. We know there are good doctors that are caring for him, but you're the great physician and we put his care in your hands. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in the middle of our Calvary Next series. We've been looking at some of the stories in the book of Acts in the early church and what happened in those early months and days after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and then the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And we're gonna continue in that study. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six, you can get out your mobile phone, maybe a Bible app, and join me in that New Testament book, the book of Acts. It tells the story of the early church of the first century. And as you're going there, I want to remind you that as part of this series, we're casting a vision for what God has put on our leadership, the heart of our leadership, toward 2030, what we believe he's calling us to. We've, we've narrowed this down to three main themes, what we believe God is calling our church to do by 2030. And the first one is to deliberately elevate our love for God's word. Pastor Brian Howard did a great job uh, preaching on that last week. Um, he talked about some of those outcomes. One of those things would be to begin some Bible Institute classes, starting our first class, just trying to get some basic things going on that uh, in January. And we have had over 150 people sign up to be interested in that class, which I, says, I think says a, a great thing about our body, wanting to long to know God's word more and put it into practice in life. Secondly, we wanna uh, be a church as we move toward 2030 that is dramatically escalating our Christ-like compassion. I'm gonna talk about that today. And then next week, I will be talking about, uh, from the book of Acts, how we decisively empower our next generation. And so that'll be key uh, next week as we continue uh, in this study. In Acts chapter six, we have one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts. I love the ones where there are supernatural signs and wonders and it's so obvious that God is working. But I also like those that the Spirit of God includes to show us the practicality of being guided by God's Spirit in everyday life. And so in Acts chapter six, we have this story where some uh, widows in the church who are identified more with the Greco-Roman world in their background than they are of Judea and Jerusalem, but they're all in Jewish background, uh, but they become believers. Some of those with that background that are called Hellenistic Jews, some of those widows feel like they're being overlooked in the care of the church. The church had taken on the care of widows and orphans, and they're saying, wait, we're being missed. We're not being cared for and fed and having our needs met by, by the church, and it causes some problem. And yet there's a very practical way in which God guides the apostles uh, into correcting this problem and, and staying focused and united as a church. Look at Acts chapter six, verse one with me, if you will. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the, against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. As they're helping care for widows and orphans, a certain segment feels like they're being overlooked. So the 12, the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples together and said, I would, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. We need to keep communicating the message of God. Even while we as a church are loving people like these widows, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. These are individuals who are gonna step up and serve and love on these widows. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry word. We'll stay focused on the message. These folks will care and love for these widows that feel like they're being overlooked. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. If you read chapter seven, you find out he becomes the first martyr of the church. As he stands up for his faith, his life is taken. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now notice this, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This story is incredible. They're growing and thriving according to verse one. They run into some hurdles. There could be some disunity, some hard feelings. There could be division. And they slow down and they kind of regroup and reorganize. And then because they regroup and reorganize, they're able to see the hope of Christ get out to the world and more people come to Christ, even those who are in a Jewish background who just months earlier perhaps endorsed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But now these priests, these Jewish priests, have embraced Jesus as the Messiah. These are incredible statements here in these first seven verses of Acts chapter six. 
And there's something here that I, I, I want us to notice as we talk about dra uh, drastically and dramatically escalating our Christ-like compassion. And here's the thought. People are much more likely to hear God's message from us if they first felt God's love through us. Let me say that again. People are much more likely to hear God's message from us if they have first felt God's love through us. And I believe that when the world around us knows we have the compassion of Christ and we communicate the conviction of the message of God's word and the truth about Jesus, the hope found in Christ, we then influence our world and our world is changed as we make disciples who live and love like Jesus. How do we influence our world today? The, these seven verses show us how, in just a little snippet of early church history, how they wrestled through a problem and were able to stay focused on both the conviction they have and the compassion they have in Christ, and how that caused them to have an influence in the world so that more people came to Jesus and more lives were transformed. How do we influence our world today? I want to share with you seven ways or seven thoughts we need to think about if we're going to influence our world for Christ today, and our world needs the light of Christ more now than ever before. Number one, engage with God in growing a living organism, not building an amazing organization. You know, the, the, the real heart of a local church like Calvary Community Church or that church there in Jerusalem is described in Acts 6. It's not the structures, the systems, the strategy, the building, the campus, the budgets. We who know Christ as Savior, the people are the living body of Christ. We're the living organism. And we engage with God in watching him grow his church as we walk in obedience to him. As we make disciples, God grows his church, the living organism. We're not here to build fancy facilities or complex strategies just so people can say, oh, look at how wonderful an organization that is. No, anything we do in programming and facility and campus, all those things are tools to help us nourish the growing organism, the living vine that needs to flourish and be fruitful. That is the church itself. So we're going to have an influence in the world. And it's not about making some great organization. It's about nurturing and cultivating with God the living organism of the body of Christ right here in Westlake Village, California, known as Calvary Community Church. Secondly, as fast as we grow big, we must grow small. As fast as we grow big, we must grow small. When you trace the church in the book of Acts, even going back to day one when the Holy Spirit came upon those believers in the upper room, they went out and Peter preached that message. Remember, 3,000 people came to Christ and on the first day of the first local church anywhere on the planet, the church of Jerusalem, they were a mega church, 3,000 people. The description we looked at a couple weeks ago in Acts 2, they met at the temple as a big group leading worship outside the temple on the temple steps and portico, leading worship to God in praise of Jesus Christ, gathered in a big group setting. It's wonderful to have all those voices together. It's wonderful to have you gather with us in worship today here at Calvary. Such a joy to have you, whether you're joining us online and particularly those of you who are in the room we lift our voices together, and there's something about that. It's very important. But as we grow larger, we need to grow smaller. That's why you'll hear us emphasizing small groups and Bible studies and prayer groups and, and ministry teams where people are getting to know each other, doing life together. Even when it comes to the donuts, part of the, the thinking behind the donuts is not just that we can have some resources that will go toward Bibles, but... Bringing the donuts back is about helping people slow down and have a conversation, meet other people, meet other families, meet people that you didn't know before so that we can grow small. As fast as we grow large, we must grow small. Let me encourage you, if you're only ever a part of the big setting and you're not a part of something smaller where you can be known and others can know you and walk the journey with you, you're being robbed of a major aspect of what it means to be a part of the living body of Christ, the local church. Thirdly, how do we influence our world today? We emphasize both biblical conviction and Christ-like compassion. When the Apostle John summarized his journey of three years walking with Jesus, decades later in John chapter 1, verse 14, he said, we saw the glory of the Father of, of, 
in him, the glory of the Father in him, he was full of grace and truth. And the way that grammar is, those two words could be interchanged. It could be truth and grace, grace or truth. And it meant he was 100% both. He had the fullness of both. He was grace. He had, he had compassion and forgiveness and mercy and kindness. But he's also one that John said he was full of truth. He had conviction. He sought holiness and righteousness and justice and wrath. The, these qualities were a part of Christ. He was 100% love and grace, and he was 100% truth and righteousness. He was uncompromised compassion, and he was uncompromised conviction. It's so important for us to understand this. Even as we talk about compassion, that we understand that compassion is linked forever as we seek to live in love like Jesus with the convictions we have. I want to just stop for a moment and describe some of our convictions that affect our voice in our world. We don't rant and rave about these things in a political way, but these are things we believe, and these beliefs, as we disciple people, have an impact on their family, their neighborhood, their community, their state, eventually our nation and the world. These convictions are not political statements. These are biblical principles that we seek to disciple people. And I bring these things up in teaching, and sometimes people go, oh, there he goes, there he goes, he's going woke. Oh, there he goes, he's going right-wing, moral majority, conservative, there he goes. These are our biblical convictions, and let me just share with you what some of these things are that we believe, and, and they speak right into our culture today. We believe all human life is sacred from conception to death. We believe God designed marriage as a covenant between one man and one woman. We believe that sexual intimacy is a gift from God to be experienced within the love and commitment of marriage. We believe God created male and female, which is determined biologically before birth. We believe parents hold both the responsibility and the authority for raising their children. We believe government has limited but God-ordained uh, uh, God role to administer justice. We believe racism, either in individual hearts or societal structures, is never a reflection of the heart of the God of the Bible. We believe diversity in the church showcases the universal power of the gospel to save and unite. We believe the exploitation of the poor and favoritism toward the rich violates God's justice. We believe every human being is made in the image of God and has equal value to others. So things like pornography and human trafficking and domestic violence and sexual harassment have no part in God's kingdom. We believe human beings have a stewardship responsibility from God to care for his creation, the environment. We believe treating immigrants and refugees with dignity is a biblical command. Those are some of the convictions we believe. Sometimes people will say to me, I don't, I don't think we have any convictions. These are the convictions we have. We're here to make disciples, not make public statements. And we teach these things we teach these things because they're important. And some of you are kind of scratching your head because you agree with, you really, you really can embrace like half of that, but you can't embrace, half of that sounds like it's from the other perspective that you don't hold. And some of you are holding the other perspective and you can't believe that we hold to some of those perspectives because we, we've divided and polarized in our world and even in the church today over some values being more important than other values in terms of these convictions that affect how we live in our world today. And yet these are not, the conviction list here is not just trying to pick up some things from the left or the right. I didn't sit down and go, okay, how many of these can I get from the political left? How many of these can I get from the political right? And how can I make some compromise? No, these are not the things of any kingdom or party or philosophy or system of this world. These are the values of Christ and his kingdom. And you scratch your head, you say, we're in, election, we're in an election year, yeah. Even props 26 and 27 really confuse me if you watch the ads, right? Like one minute, it's like, oh boy, that 26 is really bad. Oh, that 26 is really, the next ad. <laughs> you know, and we scratch our heads, how, you say, well, you're not telling us how to vote. I'm never gonna tell you how to vote. But I'm gonna disciple you. And as you learn and grow and become more and more like Jesus, I think what's gonna happen, it's gonna be harder for you to know how to vote because no party represents the kingdom of Christ. Should we vote? Yes. Should we vote our convictions? Yes. We should be able to 
look at these convictions and understand these are the convictions of Christ and his kingdom. But at the same time, we're to have compassion, right? Compassion. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. See, even Jewish traditions by the time of Christ said, yes, love your neighbor, but you don't have to love your enemy. Do you know that Christianity is the only religious philosophy on the planet that both says love your neighbor and love your enemy? It's unheard of to think that you would love your enemy, love those who persecute you, love those who disagree with you, love those who hate you, love those who might even be trying to destroy your system of faith. But these are the words of our Savior. In the Sermon on the Mount, where he told us how to live out the kingdom values. We went over that uh, a summer ago. What a precious portion of Scripture. You know, Jesus goes a little further here. He says, in the next couple of verses, he'll say, it's easy to love those you already love. It's easy to love those you agree with. What's really hard is to love the people that you don't agree with, to love the people that it's hard to love, the people you really have some animosity toward. I find this really hard as I'm uh, watching anything in, in news or whatever, and you, you get some politician or you get some pundit up, and there's certain ones that just, well, as soon as they begin to speak, it's like someone has put their fingernails on a chalkboard. I know we have whiteboards today, so you probably have to be over 40 to understand this illustration. But, you know, take your fingers on a chalkboard and go down, and, and there's certain people in the public life, famous politicians and pundits that just oh my goodness, when I hear them, where my convictions are and what my heart is and what I think is true of God and how he created the world, and I just, I just grieve with that. And you know what I've started to do when I feel like someone has their fingers on that chalkboard and their nails are scraping it? I've decided, okay, I'm gonna pray for that person. Can I encourage you? Maybe you've got that politician, that national leader or that pundit or that news person that just really irritates you. When you hear of them, see them, someone references them, stop and pray for them and ask God to help you love them and people like them. Because we've got to have not only uncompromised conviction, the truth, we've got to have uncompromised compassion. I love in Acts 6 how, how they stop and they say, wait, some people don't feel loved? You don't see the apostles saying, hey, ladies, we do all we can. We're busy people here. We're doing important stuff. You know we love you. No, they're saying, we love you. They slow down to make sure there's uncompromised compassion. Why? Because that allows them to get back to preaching the word with uncompromised conviction. In today's world, our convictions must be clear and our compassion even clearer. And the more our world drifts away from the Judeo-Christian ethical system of values, the more our compassion has to be ratcheted up and the more we need to love people who are different than us, who are going through various struggles in any one of these areas. Let me just take three of these areas that I've mentioned in those convictions. Number one, let's just take abortion. We believe life is sacred, all life, all human life is sacred from conception to death. And so we believe abortion is wrong. And some people say, well, you need to just really get up there and preach about that, pound the podium, because this is our deep conviction. But you know what I also know as a shepherd and as a pastor? Statistics show that 40% of women sitting in evangelical churches have had an abortion. So I also know that there's a lot of pain, uncertainty, maybe brokenness, struggle, second guessing. And so the tone about which I talk about life and when we bring that up in messages is very important to me because I am not a politician. I am a shepherd of people's hearts. And when it comes to abortion, yes, it, it is wrong, but there is another side to this is I, I've done research that that you know, women who have two or three abortions in their lives, many of them, the majority of them, come from settings of deep poverty and crime and violence. And part of the Christian mandate, yes, is to value the life of that child. That life is precious and should not be taken in the womb. 
but also the mother's life is precious. And not only should we be working to save the life of the child, Leslie and I this week will go to the crisis pregnancy dinner at the Simi Valley Crisis Pregnancy Center because we believe in a pro-life approach to this world. We live on the west end of Simi, so that's the one in our community. We support them. We'll be there. One reason I love them is because they emphasize, yes, that life is important, but they also emphasize the life of the mother is important. And even women they counsel who go forward and have abortions, they still love them and walk with them with their other children or whatever they're going through in life and try to help them. It needs to be a holistic approach. I loved it. I ran into an organization a few years ago called Save the Storks, a pro-life organization saying, yes, we save, we're concerned about the life of the baby, but what about this woman? Even so much that the principles, even Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount would say, what we should be doing for women in, in settings of extreme poverty or perhaps domestic abuse and, and crime and low employment rates in that community and just they, they, women who are in those areas, they, they scratch their head and they're wrestling, not just with a moral decision, but a practical decision. If this child is born, what will their life be like in this environment? It ought to be the people of God, yes, that are preserving the life of that unborn child because it's precious and has value, but this woman's life is precious and has values, and we should be the ones speaking into areas of poverty, and, and that's why we partner with Harbor House. That's why we are engaged in loving people in our community to help them have a framework by which they can make the best decision and wisest decision possible. It's, it's not an either or, it's a both and. We have support groups at times through our care ministry for women who've had abortions, for men who've had walked that journey with their girlfriends or their wives. Some, it goes back years when a man didn't even know a woman had, a, had an abortion. Later, they find that out, and we try to walk that journey with people. We hold to our biblical conviction, but we do it with Christ-like compassion. Take racism. I meet people who, when I talk about racism, they're so upset because racism doesn't exist. Get your head out of the sand. Find a person of color, a person of a different ethnicity, and talk to them about their experience. And don't try to deny their experience. Just listen to their story. Racism still exists in America. Not everyone's a racist. Not every white person's a racist. I get that. One man came to me after the service, and he said, I don't think I've ever acted in a racist way toward people, but because of the way I was raised, I hear these thoughts come through every now and then when I'm in settings with people that are different than me and those, those words and names come popping in my head. I just never prayed that those thoughts would be cleared up in my head. I told him, thank you for your transparency. Does every white person have that? I don't think so. And then people will say, well, sometimes you talk about how racism is still baked into the culture. Oh, those days are done. Every, there's no more racism in America and there's my dad bought a house in 1970, a house I grew up in on Victory Road in Mishawaka, Indiana. He sold it in 2002 after my mom died. And um, when he was selling it, uh, the real estate agent reached out and said, you've got to create a whole new de deed, John, because your deed has right in it no person of color or Native American history can own or rent this house. And you say, yeah, and I know it went in in the 30s, right? But we also know in talking with people and even people of, of color in our own community here at Calvary, that when you have that happen in one neighborhood, so for several decades, no person uh, of color or no Native American could buy in that area, and those home values went up like 60% over four or five decades. They have to buy in an area where things are built cheaper and, and there's not as much value, and those values only went up 15% in the same amount of time. What It, it sometimes takes six or seven generations for racism to get out of a, a community and some of the stuff that's baked in. And you say, well, what are you talking about? I'm just saying, let's be, let's be thoughtful and compassionate and kind and understanding in these issues that become political and we just shout back and forth at each other. Even take the other side of that. Sometimes people who've used, they admit they've used a specific word or they've told certain jokes and, and they, they're remorseful and they say, you know what, I'm sorry that happened. What we do is we cancel them. I, I don't care if it's from the right or the left. The concept of cancel culture is foreign from the grace found in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so we've got to find ways to forgive people who who are 
really repenting and trying to figure this out. That's why we've had groups, racial reconciliation groups over the last three or four years where people can get together and hear from one another and grow and understand and, and find reconciliation, not in political ideas, but in Christ himself. Let me take the third one. I talked about abortion, racism, how there's conviction and compassion. And transgenderism. And I know there's a lot of noise around that, and it really bothers me particularly when we talk about these kinds of issues, this one or abortion or any other issue, when parents' rights are being taken away by government or by authorities. That's a very dangerous line, and it's, 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 it's something the scriptures speak out against. But a couple weeks ago, probably a month ago now, a woman walked up to me and said, I haven't been in Calvary in a long time. As a matter of fact, I was raised at Calvary. Pastor Larry dedicated me as a baby. I haven't been there in a long time. She said, now I've got a 14-year-old son who says he believes he's a woman. We don't know what to do. We're hearing voices screaming from different directions. She said, I showed up today because I believe you guys have biblical convictions, but you'll walk with us kindly and you have a heart to walk with us. That was kind of her words. And so we have gotten that person to a counselor and that family and we're working with them. Because yes, we believe God created male and female prior to birth. That is an assigned gender. But there are people, especially as our world's messaging comes, there are people who are confused and they need people to walk with them in grace and compassion and kindness. Again, in today's world, our convictions must be clear and our compassion even clearer. I'm not saying compromise our convictions. I'm not saying compromise our compassion. I'm saying we have to hold each courageously and uncompromising in our biblical convictions and courageously and uncompromising in our Christ-like compassion. Why? Because that's Christ and his kingdom. That's not a compromise of the political perspectives. That's Christ and his kingdom. But what Satan wants to do is he wants to draw people off of Christ and his kingdom this way and that way to the detriment of grace or truth. Even in the church where we so emphasize truth, no one hears the grace. So emphasize grace, no one hears the truth. And again, in this passage in Acts 6, what's so beautiful is they say, we gotta stop for a moment. If we're gonna get our convictional message out, we gotta be people of compassion internally and externally. Let me say this, as followers of Christ, you can choose to be a Republican or a Democrat, but you cannot choose between biblical convictions and Christ-like compassion. Justin Gibney of the And campaign. It's not either or, it's both and. You say, well, that's gonna be pretty hard in this world. Mm, yeah. It's not gonna be popular in this world. Mm, no. Some people are here to live in love like Jesus. We're gonna make disciples live in love like Jesus, and they got all these rose-colored glasses. Well, let's go back. Jesus lived in love like Jesus, right? What did that get him? He was hanged on a cross. What did he say to us? If they hate me, you'll hate, they'll hate you. No side is gonna say we love these people. If we live according to his kingdom, it's gonna irritate every side and perspective, philosophically, politically, educationally, every aspect. But that's why we have to have compassion. So we need to hold conviction and compassion in a healthy Tension, the harmony of grace and truth. Fourthly, how do we influence our world today? People are never obstacles to avoid or objects to disdain. We can't just shout across political spectrums at people. We just can't chew out our children and our grandchildren because they're wrestling with issues of this world. I love that the apostles don't say, hey, you widows, just tamp down. You're older and we're doing our best and you just are so irritating. You're always whining. There's none of that in Acts 6. They slow down and say, wait a minute. We gotta have compassion for these people. Jesus never saw someone as an obstacle. As a matter of fact, when the disciples were pushing blind Bartimaeus away, he said, let him come. When they were pushing women away, Jesus said, let them come. When they were pushing children away, Jesus said, let them come of such as the kingdom. People are never an obstacle in Jesus' eyes, and they should never be an obstacle in our eyes. Max Lucado says, God gives us people to love and things to use, not things to love and people to use. A lot of time in our politics, we get that messed up. How do we influence our world today? How do we see the world change so that it reflects the heart and character of God? It's through discipling people who change families and neighborhoods and communities and state and nation. How do we influence the world today? You don't have to agree with someone to love them. 
You don't have to agree with someone to love them. Matter of fact, just stop for a moment and think about this. Before, if you're a follower of Christ, before you came to Jesus, God loved you as you were. He didn't agree with you, but he loved you. How do I know that? Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And let me say, if you're here, maybe you feel like you're too sinful. There's too many on that list of convictions that you, 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 you fall out of line with the holiness and character of God on. Let me say very clearly, God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you through the one he sent to die, to be buried, and to be raised for you. When you put your faith in Jesus, you experience his grace and forgiveness. And just like the rest of us, you're a sinner saved by grace. Then you're on a journey to become more like Jesus in grace and truth as God shapes your life from the inside out by his spirit. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, do so today. I'll be in the lobby. Our care team will be down front. We'd love to chat with you after the service. We make it possible that even those online can indicate today's the day they're accepting Christ or reach out to have questions answered. You can just text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. Just put that number in the number that you're gonna send the message to and then just the word Jesus in the message and we'll get back to you. You can do that if you're here in the room. It's a way you can connect with us and we can help you know that the God who loves you may not agree with you, but he loves you as you are and will walk forward with you as you walk with him. And let me say to those of you who violated some of these convictions that we've been talking about, if you violated the law, then the justice system needs to deal with that, and that's, that's appropriate in God's plan and understanding of these kinds of convictions. But let me also say that if you've struggled with racism or you're someone who identifies in the LGBTQ community or you're someone who's had an abortion or has, has been a proponent of that philosophy, you are welcome here. On behalf of Calvary Community Church and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are welcome here. Now you're gonna hear, just like the rest of us, as we open God's word, there are times the Holy Spirit says to me, here's an area where you don't measure up to God's design and plan for your life and you need to change. That happens to me. I'm not perfect either. I'm on a journey of becoming more like Jesus. By his grace, he saved me and given me life in him forever and now he wants to change me and mold me so his kingdom can spread through me. And I invite you in that same journey. God loves you and so do we. But there will be times that as we're teaching, I'm uncomfortable. Everyone in this room will be uncomfortable. And if you think you're gonna always be comfortable here, then you don't understand what being a part of the body of Christ is all about. We're all gonna be challenged by who Christ is and what God's spirit says needs to change in our lives. I love what Philip Yancey said in his memoir, Where the Light Fell. He said, Jesus calls us to love people as they are, not as they could or should be. Sometimes we talk to someone and we act like we'll love them once they get to where we want them to be. We need to love them as they are. Love them so much that just as we want God to change us, we invite them to join the journey with us in God's transformation of our lives. How do we influence our world today? People need to feel we love them, not just know it. This afternoon, if I sat my wife down, Leslie, we've been married 32 years plus. If I sat her down and I said, do you know I love you? Now, I'm pretty sure she would say yes. I hope that would be the answer to that one, right? <laughs> yes, after 32 years, I know you love me. I know that intellectually. But if I then said, let me ask you today, do you feel like I love you? That might be a different answer, right? Sometimes we just check the box and say, yeah, my, my neighbor I argued with over politics or my grandchildren I argued with, I just checked the box because they know I love them. But we need to make sure, like Jesus, when, when I, I've looked at the life of Christ, a couple of years ago, I read through the Gospels looking at the life of Jesus. And I took a highlighter and I said, okay, he was grace and truth, but it seems at times he leads with grace and follows with truth, and at other times he leads with truth and follows with grace. And so I said, I'm gonna highlight in a different color when Jesus encounters a person, a group of people, a crowd, how does he engage them? Where does he start and where does he go? And you know what I found? The people who claimed to be religious and dedicated to God, and some were hypocrites, some were very sincere, but you know how he communicated with them? He started with truth and followed with grace. He started with the convictions because we need to be discipled to live in love like Jesus. We don't need any more hypocritical Christians wagging their finger at the world and then living in sin themselves. So he started with truth and followed with grace with those who consider themselves closest to God. And those who were considered evil and far from God, guess how he started? 
90% of the time, he started with grace and love and compassion, healed them, touched them, valued them, and then he followed with truth. Today, we tend to flip that around. We scream at the world, and sometimes we excuse our own sin in the church. We need to approach our world with the compassion of Christ. They need to feel our love. It's a part of our apologetic with them before they could even hear the hard message but the hopeful message of the gospel. Jesus first preached people to first reach people by connecting with their hearts, not convincing their minds or condemning their behavior. Did he sometimes have discussions like with Nicodemus one-on-one, kind of an intellectual debate, apologetics? Yes. Did he at times call sin sin? But he said, I didn't come here to condemn the world, I came here to save it. He connected with their hearts and then he knew he could work with them on their thoughts and their minds and then he could work with them in their behavior, but he connected with their hearts first and foremost and we need to do the same. Seventh and finally, how do we influence our world today? Christ's kingdom spreads on earth as we love and serve others, not when we gain power or control. You don't see the apostles in Acts 6 doing a power play or say, well, we're in charge. Actually, they say, we'll raise up some leaders who will care for your need. They adjust the organization to help the organism flourish. They don't sit there in their power and position and say, hey, we're the apostles. We're the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. We're in charge here. Stop your whining. No, no. They find ways to make sure the church is serving so they can do what God has called them to do. Gaining power over others is man's way of changing the world. Stooping down to serve others is God's way of changing the world. Our world desperately needs the church to be about foot washing more today than finger pointing. Now let me ask you, if you think about this, how is it in your relationships with your children or grandchildren your neighbors, your coworkers, how's that going right now if you're just shouting your convictions or arguing your convictions? Do you love those it's easy to overlook? Would have been easy to overlook these widows and continue to do so, put them in their place, so to speak? Do you love those you disagree with? Pray for that person that's like nails on a chalkboard when you hear them or see them. Maybe it's not someone on TV, maybe it's someone at work, maybe it's someone in your family, maybe it's someone in your neighborhood. Pray for God to give you new ways to love them. Do you love those who hate you? Jesus said, love those who persecute you. He said, it's easy to love your tribe. Love the people you already love. He says, I'm calling on you to love your enemies and those who persecute you. That's the kind of escalated compassion Christ calls us to individually. But he also calls us to that as a church. We handed out these magazines the last few weeks, our Calvary 2030 vision that lays out what we believe in leadership God has for us in the next eight years. We've said you could take one per household, and I wanna say to those of you who are really strict rule keepers who really wanted to get one more because two at your house would really work, go ahead and get a second one. (laughs) And I know some of you have already done that. But pick up another one. If you haven't gotten one yet, pick up one of these. This is the stuff I'm talking about is in here. And we do this at the personal level. But then we as a church need to escalate our compassion for our community and our world. And so you'll find on page 21 at the bottom right-hand corner, key outcomes by 2030. And this is based on that whole idea that one of the things we need to do by 2030 is to dramatically escalate our Christ-like compassion locally and globally. And we kind of put this out as one thing we need to do, 10 things we need to do, 100 things we need to do, 1,000 things we need to do, uh, uh, 10,000 things we need to do, 100,000 things we need to do, 1 million things we need to do, and 10 million things. Just to help us have a big picture of what God wants us to do. So we laid out these outcomes. The one thing that you'll see in that box, we wanna create one Caneo Valley care center that'll involve our care ministry and an outreach where people can come any day of the week and get food and they can get clothing and they can get counseling and we could slow down. Right now we have multiple setups. We set up for Fresh Market, that's great. Thank you for those of you who serve in there. But we think we take that to the next level by making that available all week long and bring fewer people in at a time to serve from the community who are hurting and in need so that we can sit down and pray with them and counsel them and help them get beyond some of the stuff that may be clouding their lives and robbing them of resources. We envision this being done with our partners. Remember, we talked about building on our campus. We're now thinking we get some resource center somewhere else in the Caneo Valley where we can minister in Jesus' name to those in need. 
We're, as part of the vision you'll see on that same page, we're, we're working to take our substance abuse, Christ-like compassion to the next level so that we're looking to hire a, a substance abuse coordinator for support groups and to help us in that area with alcoholism and drug use and fentanyl is such a horrible thing in our community and we're working to even ratchet up our compassion in that area. That would be a part of that care center. Then 10, the number 10, we're, we're, we want to partner in establishing 10 homes for foster youths, adults with special abilities, refugee families, and trafficking victims. We've been ministering to Afghan refugees that God put into our community and we've had a deep impact into their lives. We want to continue to find ways to help in these areas. Right now we're meeting with potential partners to establish the first of these 10 homes that would be used to show compassion in our community. The number 100, we're actively engaging the lives of 100 foster children. Right now, 12 Calvary mentors have been matched with a foster child through one of our partners. We'd like to get to 2030 where we're regularly engaging that there are 100 foster children who the Calvary family is caring for. 1,000, we want to plant 1,000 churches in unreached villages, places where they've never even heard the name of Jesus. We've helped with 685 church plants in South Asia in the last seven years because of your generosity and your investment. And we want to ratchet that up, and we, we would like to even see this go beyond 1,000, but because of COVID, there have been some great setbacks in this area of planting churches, but we believe God has us desiring to see 1,000 churches planted in parts of the world, in tribes and locations where they've never heard the name of Jesus. 10,000, we want to administer to 10,000 at-risk children locally and globally. This could mean they're, they're, they're uh, easy prey for human traffickers or they're under abuse or they're in such extreme poverty. Presently, we're impacting around 4,000 at-risk kids internationally. We hope to ratchet that up to 10,000 as we escalate our Christ-like compassion. 100,000, we want to distribute 100,000 Bibles locally and globally. We're on pace to give away 12,500 Bibles this year, even as you give donations to donuts for those Farsi Bibles. If that continues, we'll hit 100,000 by 2030, so we wanna maintain that, keep that going, and even raise that higher as we get closer to 2030. When it comes to one million, all of us serve in various ministries on this campus, in the community, and around the world. All of us serving, we wanna serve one million hours together through the ministries of the church to one another and to the world around us. We presently estimate we're on track for 600,000 hours served over the next eight years, but we'd like to see that be one million hours served together in rolling up our sleeves and serving in Jesus' name. And the final one here is 10 million. We wanna give away 10 million pounds of food to those in need. Right now, we presently estimate we're on track to give away four, millions of pounds, four million pounds of food. And some of this will be through our partners, our fresh market, that outreach center will escalate that. But this is about us demonstrating compassion while we live out our convictions that won't be that popular as the world grows darker, but the love of Christ can break through with the light and hope of Jesus so that people will feel the love of God from the people of God. They'll see the love of Christ's kingdom, and then we communicate the message of Christ and the convictions of God's word as they come to Jesus and they're discipled. I'm pretty pumped about that bottom corner on page 21. You say, well, that sounds expensive. It might be. You say, that, that sounds like a lot, of, a lot of people doing a lot of work. That might be. But I so believe we need to attempt something so big for God that it's doomed to failure unless he is in it. This is a God-sized vision. You can read about what we're doing globally in the Reach magazine. Our missions ministry is put together that's available at the Bible, count, uh, Bible carts on your way out. Just grab one of those. Tell some of the stories of what God is doing around the world in the form of articles and pictures. It's a great resource. So I firmly believe that many will not hear the message of God through us until they have first felt God's love from our lives. That means we gotta have compassion and conviction. We gotta love people we disagree with. We gotta make sure they know the love of Christ Then we embrace all the convictions of God, not just one perspective or another, but the kingdom of Christ as a whole and live it out in our lives. A couple weeks ago when I was talking about loving God more, loving God's family more, and loving your neighbors more, a nurse came up to me who works down at a hospital in LA, and she said on Monday of that week she'd been assigned to care for a transgender man and her convictions and her, her beliefs just swelled up within her. And so she asked to be removed from the case. And she's got such a good track record there and all. She implied nobody had a problem with that. They let her just serve on another end of the floor at the hospital and not the end where that man was. But with tears flowing, because I had talked about sometimes we hold on to our 
rights as citizens and rights as consumers over our responsibilities as the followers of Jesus Christ to live in love like Jesus, we do it to the point that we don't hold to our responsibilities of following Christ. And she said with tears, you know what? My convictions haven't changed, but I'm gonna ask this afternoon if I can be put back on that end of the floor to show that man the compassion of Christ. If we exit every area where we have some disagreement, we say we can't even show them love, who's gonna show them the love of Jesus? Who's gonna be there as the light? We need to be in this world, but not of it. And as we talked, we agreed, it doesn't mean she's compromising her convictions to express the compassion and love of Christ for someone that she wrestles with some of the decisions they made in their life. How about you? What neighbor, what child, what grandchild, what coworker, who is it you've had conversations with, or what are you communicating online? Do people say, yeah, that's a loving follower of Jesus Christ who has convictions? We shouldn't just be known as the people just love and we have no convictions, nor should we be known as the people who just have convictions and we don't have any love. We need to be people who live like Jesus did in grace and truth. This week, can I encourage you to pray about that in your own life? Ask God to help you embrace both so that others can clearly see the hope and love and light and truth of Christ through you. Will you pray with me, please? Thanks, Father for the example of Jesus himself. Teach us, teach me. You know, Lord, that as I pursue these qualities of Christ and his kingdom, these are the very things Jesus prayed, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and help me to embrace what your spirit is telling me, those areas where I don't show compassion and the people that I struggle to show compassion to. Convict me, teach me, grow me, stretch me. If I have to be uncomfortable, make me uncomfortable. In those areas where it's easy to just shun certain convictions in my own life. Help me not to allow hypocrisy to develop where I say one thing and do something else. Make me uncomfortable with with a holy sense of your spirit saying, I need to change my life. Father, may we all grow together as we seek to live in love like Jesus in a world that desperately needs the hope and love of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.